Hello, my name is Tom Suter, and I'm the founder of the Advanced Technology Academic Research Center. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, the title of what we're going to talk about is Modernizing Federal IT Through DevSecOps. Very timely, timely subject. Um, I'd like to welcome all the attendees. Uh, definitely special thanks to Kristen Nicholson, Matt Stratton, and the rest of the Red Hat team. They've been they've been with a partner with us as long as ATARC's been doing DevOps. So uh, we've got a really great panel for you. I'm going to introduce them in a second, uh, but we're going to have a, a combination panel. We're going to ask you some poll questions. We're going to have Q&A. Uh, I think we'll be keeping it pretty lively. And if all the panelists can get their video and audio on, I think we got a full house. Okay, I'd like to welcome uh, Todd Simpson. How are you doing today, Todd? Very good, thank you for having me. Yeah, we just recently, he recently became Deputy Assistant Secretary for DevOps at the Office of Information Technology, Office of the Deputy Secretary for VA. Definitely wanna, we'll be touching base with him in a second. And uh, Todd, where are you out of today? I'm you actually out of the office? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the office. Yeah, we're starting to get a little bit of that. We're start, we're, people are actually getting back to the office. And we also have with us today, uh, Edmund Kuko, who's the Naval, works over at the Naval Information Warforce, Warfare Center, uh, Atlantic DevSecOps Lead Systems Engineer at the US Navy. How are you do, doing today, Edmund? Great, thank you for having me. Good, good. And I told you before in the prep call, I love the sticky notes and the planning and everything be, behind me. It gets me very excited. Welcome. And uh, we also have with us uh, Christopher Christ. How are you doing today, Chris? All right so far. Good, good, good. Well, it can only get better, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. Chief Operations and Development DevOps at the U.S. Transportation Command, USTC, and a recent uh, GuyTech Award winner. So we grabbed him after he won his award and we got it, we recruited him to this panel. That's just kind of how we roll here. And then uh, last but not least, we have with, with us um, Matt Stratton, uh, North American Public Sector Transformation Office at Red Hat. Yeah. And uh, you got the company colors on, Matt. I do, I do. It's, you know, the, and the red pops. So I like that, you know, it kind of, yeah. I, you know, when, when you can, when you can show the, show the colors and, you know, and it's aesthetically pleasing. It's, you know, a win for everybody. It, it, it's, it's a good look for you. Could you manage to fit? Where's that fedora? I, I like, don't, uh, don't you, you know, guys have I've the got too fedora? much hair. It doesn't fit my, you know, so my kids wear it instead. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And so where are you out of Matt? I'm in Chicago. Chicago. It's my kind of town. I love that place. I love the hot dogs. Mm -hmm. and the beef on the whack and all that so yeah exactly you're, you're, you're italian beef. Wanna, yeah <laughs> wrigley field italian beef exactly exactly well let's get things kicked off i would love to go to you mr simpson um i, I first of all i got to know how is it how is it being hired during a pandemic how is it being onboarded and and talking to everybody and and, and nobody's in the office that must be a, an interesting experience for you but i'd love to hear hear how it's going for you at the va uh, it's it's actually been very interesting. It's uh it's given me a chance to really see just how um, how professional and organized the VA really is. Uh, I onboarded about ten weeks ago, and it was seamless. Um, I, my equipment was ready for me. Uh, my equipment worked. My PIV card was mailed to me in advance, uh, temporary PIV card, um, and I was able to to get right online and pretty much jump right into the, the, the mesh um, fairly quickly. And um, I, I, to be honest with you, I've never had such a seamless experience onboarding at any agency I've ever worked at. So I think it's a real testament to, uh, to some of the efforts that took place that, you know, as I prepared for this call, a lot of the, the discussion that, you know, I was trying to, you know, generate in my own mind was, you know um, what what we what we've been doing um, around the pandemic and and you know in in my case a lot of the work was done before I got here so I get to talk about some of the great things that other people that are on my team and next to me my peers have already done so um, it's been a great experience for me so far so just to follow up how has it been I know a lot of agencies they were co-located. They had de de development teams working together. Um, 
and, and you know from your old place too how how has that transition gone just kind of the new way of doing doing work and doing development did they have to bring on any new tools over at the va what what, what did that look like well that's an interesting question and uh and fortunately the va's DevSecOps journey began long before i got here and uh and it's it's kind of a two-parter because uh, I, I'm responsible for the development, the security, and the operations groups. And the operations group consisting of a help desk, end-user computing, infrastructure network, the traditional kind of uh, IT model. And then we have that DevSecOps journey that took place. So um, back about two years ago, they, they started long before I got here on this product line management approach where they identified five portfolios and and um, 30 product lines, and they packaged their 800 app, our 800 applications inside those categories, and really started that kind of agile journey, the whole journey with SAFE and, uh, and the DevSecOps. Uh, it all began long ago. So I was actually, um, I came in at a really good time. Um, and, and I mean, I consider myself very lucky to have come in when I did because a lot of the groundwork has been put in place to position us for success and, and a lot of the stuff that that we did and continue to do to support the veterans over the over the last six months or so uh, was a direct result of those agile processes and practices that my team has already been following so you know i kind of look at it like um, my my job is that much easier as we roadmap toward the future um, and, you know, continue with that cultural shift that, that my leader, um, that the CIO, Mr. Jaffer, had, has, you know, put us on. And, um, and so I'm, I'm just really grateful for that, um, to be honest with you. But you can, you can see the results and how quickly we were able to increase um, just the bandwidth and the tools around um, just simple things, too, like just getting into a building now. I went out on the road and, uh, and, and went to a couple of the medical centers. And before you go into a medical center, you can answer your COVID screening questions over text and get the, the past to actually get into the building. And, and that kind of stuff was spun up and released to production in a matter of days. So it's a real testament to the workforce here. Yeah, and I think we'll get a little bit more about the pace of change and some of the things that have happened there. It's been remarkable. I think the last time we talked to you about it was IT modernization. And this has really been a, this pandemic has been a forcing function of that. Um, next up, why don't we go to you, uh, Edmund? Let us know what's going on over there. I, and tell us what all those sticky notes mean. Oh, that's, that's a challenging questions, right? Uh, if you look at the left or right, depending on your, your perspective or point of view, right? You got work to do, I mean, forgive me, work to do and work being done or in progress. Uh, it is a challenging situation, right? And then you throw the COVID on top of that and this uh, remote telework concept uh, in government, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenge uh, due to the fact that some of our infrastructure is still, it's up and coming, right? We're taking some drastic changes to ensure that our large workforce uh, can accommodate a lot of these connectivity challenges, right? And one of those great stories is that what the DOD CIO was able to do by uh, procuring this aisle to, you know, Microsoft Teams, which is definitely escalated some of this uh, collaboration and this DevSecOps mindset by actually completely removing this dependency of should you be in person or should you be remote, right? It's irrelevant. Like you can start this, uh, this Teams channels and our teams, you know, drastically using these tools and in the regular basis, uh, we have multiple channels following this DevSecOps, you know, pattern or, or philosophy, right? You got a development channel, you got our security channel, you got our operations teams that, that constant feedback, you know, we have our networking, our single sign on folks. So it's impressive, you know, when folks come together, how much we can accomplish, right? Uh, from a Navy perspective, there are multiple efforts that we are currently executing to ensure that DevSecOps is not simply just the means, right? Or, or the end to the means, right? It's simply just that starting of a journey yeah. on how we approach uh, capability delivery, how we improve the way we buy, build, and deploy some of these, uh, you know, technologies that we have in use. And then how, you know, to, to echo to the previous speaker is that how do we ensure that user experience, right, is that in, 
instant feedback, right? Uh, before you go to the door, that information is available to you. And, and that's the intent. Uh, at the NIWIC uh, or Naval Information Warfare Center Atlantic, we are in process actually uh, deploying some, a platform as a service solution where we are trying to then expand that further up at Navy to onboard some of our mission owners to fully take advantage of some of these, uh, you know, automation tools, the processes, right? Our, a lot of our team members have gone through training. You know, speaking of Red Hat, you know, it's one of the platforms that we're utilizing right now to kind of remove some of that uh, complexity layer, right? To, to have the programs of record that mission owners focus more on the capability delivery rather than trying to make things how they work, right? This system doesn't communicate with the system. My remote office cannot VPN in my, you know, so it's, it's that collaboration uh, effect of it. Uh, we are definitely taking, you know, uh, lesson learned. Uh, previously, I supported as a chief engineer on the VA side early 2011. We actually did Agile and DevSecOps in the early stages, uh, delivering the, the Veterans Benefits Management System through NAVWAR and IWIC Atlantic. So, you know, we've learned from there and we try to instill that practice. And then from then, we just, uh, sky's the limit, right? Yeah. Lots of good stuff there to unpack. Uh, how about the platform as a service? Does that look anything like uh, Nick Shalon and the Air Force, or, or is it, what's where do you guys keep it? What does that look like? Uh, it's challenging because uh, each branch in government, right, they have certain requirements in terms of security and compliance, right? Our Navy, for example, has their own security. Their uh, their naval in authorizing official, as well as their processes of the risk management framework. Everything is risk based and risk yeah. assessed, right? Like is your system in compliance and can be delivered quickly and securely by ensuring that these systems are performing at the, at the performance level that they're expected. Uh, in, in terms of comparison, it's really hard to compare, you know, apple and oranges, even though they're fruits, right? In, in, in terms, uh, a network within the Air Force is slightly different than a network, uh, you know, configuration on the Navy side or the Army or, you know, Coast Guard or VA, you know, speaking. These are some of these intricate details that uh, we are working across agencies. Uh, one would say, you know, why is Navy, you know, considering their platform? Why is Air Force considering their platform? You know, these are, in, it's meeting different needs to different mission or requirements. It doesn't mean that we're not communicating with one another, right? Uh, I've had con you know, constant feedback with Nicolas Chalon on that side to ensure that, hey, sure. so what, what are some of the lessons learned on your side, right? Like how can we bypass some of those hiccups in the process by you sharing that information? Vice versa goes you know, from us to them as well. So it's simply trying to find the right cadence when it comes to what are the requirements and having this mindset of one size fits all solution um, it can work in some cases by any means, but in a real, you know, practical world, uh, planning is great when you plan it, but once you hit the mission, you start scratching your head going, oh yeah, this is a completely different architecture, different infrastructure, different Navy, uh, talking about uh, networks, speed for that matter, and things of that nature. Oh. Yeah, I'm very familiar with your, your network. I installed it a long time ago, but that's another story. I also installed exactly. the videos. Um, so... Great, great, great. And uh, next up, we'll go with we'll, with you, Chris. Yeah, all right. Well, that's actually really exciting to hear, Edmund, you know, kind of what you got going on over there. And um, I think that we kind of mirror that a little bit over here at U.S. Transportation Command. So, you know, we're somewhat of a complex organization, as I imagine a lot of government entities are. And so we do have um, Air Mobility Command, uh, Service Deployment and Distribution Command, and we also have uh, Military Sea Lift Command under us. And so, you know, when we look across all those uh, subordinate commands, we have a lot of programs uh, that we're attempting to work with and, and trying to help them to move forward um, with DevSecOps methodologies. So I think that from our perspective, uh, the, the, the challenge, I suppose, is not necessarily the, the technical aspect of it. Uh, we can put together the tools and the pipeline and, you know, work with uh, OpenShift over there with Red Hat, you know, things like that. Uh, we can do all of that. And that's not an issue, uh, thankfully. You know, we have brilliant people over at Red Hat, brilliant people at, you know, uh, Amazon uh, who can help us with these things. And we have some great engineers and computer scientists to do those things. It's mostly about the culture um, and helping people to understand the importance of DevSecOps and what it can do for the Department of Defense. And so at our organization, uh, we had a mandate to sprint to the cloud, meaning get all of our programs to the cloud. And as you, that was a few years back. And as you can imagine, 
they did. They went fast, but you skip a few steps along the way. And uh, so my branch was uh, somewhat newly developed. It's been about a year now. And we came to realize that, oh my gosh, our services that we're providing, that we're providing to our customers, they're not compliant. Um, they're not really mature and good to go. So we've, we've been spending a lot of time maturing our services for our customer. And so we've had to collaborate with a lot of other divisions within our organization. And when we started to do that, we started to realize how much people do not know about DevSecOps, uh, even within our own organization. And so we've really had to shift. We, we thought we were going to come in, put things in place, get things moving. But now we kind of had to take a step back and say, okay, we need to shift to being communicators of, of what this is about. And we need to shift to a psychology frame <laughs> and, and help people to understand uh, this. And so a lot of our role has been, how do we communicate the message? Um, I had a, a briefing that I had to give about it right before all this took place. I had a division chief stand up at the end of this and say, Chris, until you came here, I thought that a DevSecOps pipeline were literally four computers hooked together in some cloud environment somewhere else. And I thought, okay, we got a lot of work to do. So that's been primarily our challenge here. That's what we've been trying to do is trying to communicate the message and get people to understand the benefits of DevSecOps. A lot of successes, but a lot of challenges ahead of us as well. And how is the workforce, you know, with the pandemic, do you think they're able to get more done, less done? Are they adopting DevSecOps as a result of it? What is what has changed before and after now that we can look back how many months has it been been almost six months? Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. How how have what's changed before and after? We we can actually say that now. Uh, yes, we can. Well, from our perspective, to be honest with you, uh, it's actually been a benefit to us. Uh, the remote working uh, has been a benefit. We were able to get a hold of people almost whenever we want. Uh, even if they're in a meeting, we can still ping them. <laughs> so we've actually been able to yeah. collaborate quite a bit more, actually. And even with our contractors, um, with the developers working the different programs, we, we, with teams, I think um, you, know, you guys brought up a very good example of that. Uh, Edmund, you brought up a good example with that. And so our developers, we can all just set up a channel for this program, for example, we'll set up, okay, this program, we have a, uh, a team, if you will, within teams. And we just, hey, when you're going, hey guys, have you heard about this? Or, hey, we're about to, you know, put this out there, or we're looking into uh, OpenShift, what are your thoughts, you know, things like that. And so it, it's, it's really, really made communication very easy and, and a lot simpler for us. Um, so, you know, I think at first it was a little chaotic and hectic. Uh, I did have to deploy to New York as I'm a medical service corps officer in the Air Force Reserve. So I had to be out for a little bit dealing with that when it all first went down. But coming back, I was very pleasantly surprised to see that people are, you know, really got this down and, and collaboration has, has, has been pretty strong. Yeah, I'll, I'll give DOD CIO some credit. Usually it takes about 18 months to get a memo out. They got that memo about working with teams and the other platforms in about a week, I think. It was, it was, it was crazy. Uh, so de desperate times call for desperate measures, but it was good. It was a good memo and it, it got people starting to collaborate right, right away rather than worrying about it. Uh, last but not least, we will go to Matt Stratton. We're really interested to hear uh, I know you bring a lot of perspective, not just across government, which I want to hear about, but also across industry. How how has the financial sector, the healthcare sector, you know, uh, embraced DevSecOps in the, in the wake of all this, uh, all the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, you, and and I think I think it's been really interesting to see, and especially on the public sector side, um, when we think about transformation and the last and and the way this year ha has gone. Because a lot of the times my talking points when I'm talking to organizations about transformation, we talk about the need for resiliency because of the fear of disruption or the risk of disruption. And usually when we say disruption, everybody's head goes to like Uber or Netflix or Amazon. And, you know, most of you on the call here are like, you know, Uber is not coming after my agency or whatever. But then we had something like COVID, right? Like startups aren't the only disruptor. And... I spend a lot of a lot of my effort, you know, again, it's like I love, you know, it's like, you know, Chris said, right, like the tech is easy, I can handle this. And I love me some Kubernetes, I love me some OpenShift. But it's the socio part of the socio technical system that I think is so key, especially when we talk about the need for resiliency. And resiliency is adaptive capacity is how do how does our system, which is a socio technical system, have the graceful extensibility to flex against the things we can't predict. 
right? Robustness, we can do high availability, we can do load balances, we can do auto scaling. That's the technical part, but how do we adapt? And I think we've seen great examples of it. And, you know, Tom, you just said one with, with DOD CIO, right? Like you said, hey, normally it takes them this long, but that's resilience in the system. And we yeah. saw, I saw this on a call I was on with, um, with the IRS, with the CARES Act. They said, you know what, we had to make a lot of changes really fast because of this. And it's funny, it turns out we could do it, right? And that's the thing. And I hope the lesson that we learn from these forcing functions is we had a lot of beliefs about, and this is the private sector was big on this, about what work can be done remotely. Oh, we could never do that job remotely. We could never do that. And then when you have to, not only can you, but to Chris's point, sometimes it's done better, you know, and, and maybe there's things we've been assuming we have to do a certain way. So as we express that resilience, as, as our systems expand and extend, um, I, I, I just hope that we don't then bring everything back again and not learn from this and not continue to get better. No, I, th I think you're bringing up some good points, Matt. I just think that a lot of agencies, and it seems to make sense, let's hire everybody in a given area and bring them into one, you know, into one facility and collaborate. But then you might lose out on a lot of talent. And now that we're remote anyway, um, now I don't have to, you know, not to pick on, on, on the USDA, but they've got a big development center in Fort Collins. Well, there's not that many developers that live in Fort Collins. I think a lot want to live in Fort Collins because it's a beautiful place, but you know, where's the talent, you know, it doesn't have to be in that geographical location. And, and I think that we've, we've seen some, some benefits. Um, the, you know, it's not like a lot of, you know, these kinds of benefits are, well, let's take advantage of a crisis, um, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I'm going to ask a couple of questions. We'll probably go hit a poll here pretty soon, but you know, you know, what are the challenges brought forth in your agency due to COVID-19 specifically related to DevSecOps? Do we have to get some new tooling? Did we kept talking about culture? Does anybody want to add a little color to that, to that, to that question of some things that had a shift in the organization? I can jump on that. Uh, again, yeah. it depends in certain environments, right? Or, or your mission requirement needs uh, in terms of uh, I just want to echo what Christopher mentioned, right? Culture is one of the fundamental, one of the basic tenets of any problem statement, uh, either being this teleworking concept or if it's being a developer, if it's junior or senior guy, how further you want to go with a career. But to focus on your question particularly is that me personally, I'm one of those folks that I'm five days a week at work. Uh, it's something that I'm focused and I know I'm at work. So I focus at work. And if I'm outside of work, know that I'm not doing my job. It was, it's simply that I'm distracted more, uh, in terms of COVID, you know, in the pandemic right now, I needed to readjust myself to the point that, Hey, you know, working from home and having the right tools to support you to, you know, towards your mission requirements. It's not really a bad idea. It's not a bad job. Uh, it's actually, I want to, you know, uh, echo one more time when we said that there before I couldn't find some folks at their location. They were at work in their cube or in their office, but I would walk by and they're probably on the break or somewhere else. Right now I can just, you know, get on Teams, ping or tag somebody and they, within minutes, they will reply. I'm not asking them where they at simply, right? But hey, this is the problem. We got a down system. Customer is upset. How we can remediate this issue? So definitely changed how we think. And then as well, it actually improved our, uh, I wouldn't say our way of life in a way, but how we think on how we deliver capabilities, right? Right now we have some of our build systems that we're designing to send notification directly to some of our chat clients, which instantly get that, you know, that feedback from a development perspective, you know, some of our de developers in terms of from the past and now experience tend to be a bit uh, funny in terms of their messaging, you know, sending on their builds. Uh, but it, it's something that it kind of brought us together. But on the same note, it opened our eyes that uh, working together on the same room, it's great benefit. But finding the right tool to help you do your job is just as equally important as well. Over. Yeah. I, anybody else want to yeah. chime in? Go ahead. I'll, I'll say that, um, you know, speaking from someone who interviewed and was hired over, um, over a video conference, um, the, uh, the COVID experience, I think, kind of 
Um, it, it really redefined the definition of continuity of operations at VA and it, and it kind of forced us, um, I think, to look at, you know, ways to, um, to solidify some of the stuff that we were doing, uh, like over teams, our, our, our video conferencing over teams, we've now standardized on teams and um, we've um, uh, eradicated the other, um, the other video conference tools that we had. And, and so we're going all in on that. And, um, and we're also, I think, really focusing in on that digital experience, not only internally for our, our, our customers internal, but also for our vets in um, telehealth, um, especially, you know, um, on one of my site visits, I was speaking with the chief of staff at a hospital and uh, at a VA hospital and um, the chief of staff said, we are never going to go back to the way we used to do business. Uh, this chief of staff uh, articulated a vision where waiting rooms are going to be a thing of, of the past, for example. And that, you know, um, uh, I think is, you know, to, to quote him as best as possible, that the, the shopping malls are going to replace the waiting rooms for us. And um, they, you know, and we've already implemented tools, electronic tools, um, to notify our, our veterans when their appointment is ready for the ones that are actually coming in. Um, for the ones that are still, you know, we, we've quadrupled our telehealth services. Uh, so, um, you know, what was just a, a small part of our business has now become our primary business, just as an example. So I would say that this, this whole experience um, has really accelerated that digital transformation. And now we're, we're taking it, you know, as far as we can, replacing um, fax-based services with APIs that convert the faxes into, into PDFs, just as an example. And, um, and, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't um, um, kind of do a foot stomp for the whole culture piece. Um, I, I just want to say I'm behind that 100%. Um, at, at VA, we have a highly distributed workforce. It's centralized, unlike um, any of the other agencies that I've um, worked at before. And um, we have, it's, high, it's, it's centralized, but highly distributed. So most of my staff, 7,000 FTEs plus uh, thousands of contractors spread out across the country. So um, this standardization around one video uh, technology, one, um, one, you know, one way of collaborating, um, the increases in the bandwidth have only served the VA uh, better and, and made us stronger. And, and now it, it doesn't matter. We, I, I think, you know, the one thing I'll say is that I'm kind of a workaholic, um, but most of the people I work with are workaholics and this workday, maybe it's not the healthiest thing, but it really doesn't end. It, it just goes on. And, um, and it, I, I hear that's the culture of VA. People are very dedicated here, but these tools, you know, they, they just, they further enable that. So. Does anybody want to add? I, I really wanted to get to that, the citizen experience, or are we really going to roll in our 96 year old grandmother into a social security office to get some benefit explained? Is that, are those days over? And we all have constituents um, are they, I, can we, I don't think we can put that genie back in the, in the bottle. How has that, uh, helped us when we're, when we're thinking about the user experience? I, I have a feeling the pandemic has really, really changed, changed that. How, how has it affected in your organizations? Chris and Edmund, if you want to chip in on that, that'd be great. I'll pass to Chris. So he's been quiet. Okay. <laughs> so if you don't mind, yeah, I got a piece of that. So yeah, go ahead. kind of elaborating a bit on, on your question. So what is it specifically you're asking there on that? Well, I just, it's just like you're, how are you going to develop to your, how are you going to change the way you do development? Is it going to, is it the way you're going to, your user experience? Uh, are people expecting it a little bit differently now than, than maybe some of the old ways that you delivered your services? Mm -hmm. Well, it, again, you know, maybe nothing exciting from my perspective, to be honest with you, I would have to stick with my original message. I think that the perhaps actually, um, we've gotten used to um, things happening a little bit faster in our organization. Um, we've gotten used to faster yeah. communication. We've gotten used to faster responses. 
some of the things that we've been able to do within our organization, uh, we, we were able to cut down some of the time in half of what we originally thought. Yeah. And so I think perhaps maybe what we may see is that the expectation is going to be, well, hey, <laughs> yeah, you, you were able to do this in this time frame. So I think that we're going to have to keep that momentum going. So, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't have any negative things to say at this point. I, I really think that for us, it really has been positive. We've been able to move things forward a lot faster than before. And so I don't think that we really sat down and had those conversations around exact expectations uh, in terms of how fast the service will be delivered. Right. Um, but I do know that I suppose informally, um, I, I think that we've been pretty happy within our organization with how fast we've been moving. So I think that if we yeah. were to see it um, slow down or change as a result of maybe having to go back to the office or something like that, I think that we would, you know, uh, be up in arms with, hey, we, we can't do this. We, we got to go back to what yeah, we were doing. Yeah. I think it's the new normal. And, and Ed, specifically to you, um, are your to-do and dones moving faster than they used to be? Is they, are they moving? My, you got to keep those sticky notes moving. My challenge is that I can't have my guys stop at eight hours, right? They're, they're, they're plugged in and it's just like seven o'clock and I'm checking, you know, my messages. I'm like, okay, what do I have to do? I have to just go by their house and plug the internet cable, right? So, it's drastically improved us in, in terms of uh, having that ability to like just jump on the call at an instant, having a question and working with our vendors, you know, our industry partners in terms of just recently we had a meeting with Red Hat trying to figure out some caching issues in our Kubernetes cluster. Uh, you know, we were like, listen, guys, we need to get on the call right now. And, you know, within 30 minutes, everything happened. If we had to go via our traditional model, via the acquisition old models, is that first we had to like send a request, you know, then I had to check out if there was a room available and then I had to see if I got a conference line available. So, you know, some of these things kind of tack up and it, I wouldn't say it discourages you from going fast. It's just that, you know, it's a, a challenging situation. Uh, DevSecOps hasn't been there uh, for too long. Uh, a lot of folks truly think of DevSecOps simply just deploying applications right or, or automating the piece of it but they're all components of your you know sdlc lifecycle uh, uh, being even procurement right logistics piece of it right is that you need the operations make sure the messaging is correct using like uh, this enterprise level uh, erp systems like oracle business or or you know the the sap's uh, you know erp systems so it depends on how you you train your workforce and then on the same time you need to be cognizant about helping them realize that even though it's easier to do your job remotely, uh, but you know, you got to have that boundary of life work, work life balance as well. So yeah. it, it's, you know, I want to echo again what the gentleman said earlier, right? Is that he has its benefits, but then he has its downfalls and the downfalls are not bad. They're good, but like you, you got to find a way on how to actually help everyone understand that we're in this together. Our leadership has been uh, definitely one of our, uh, you know, strong advocates when it comes to pushing hard, you know, on both ways, right? We have that uh, top-down approach as well as a bottom-up approach where we got smart folks within our uh, command in Navy, on week Atlantic side, as well as, you know, when we need some additional resources to be plugged in with our teams to supplement that additional need uh, for an emergency requirement or for some set of uh, larger concept, then we try to accommodate in, in, in all the ways. Uh, one thing I wanted to, to kind of emphasize, though, right, is that culture is important, but culture from an execution perspective or the, the engineers and the developers, I think they're at the point where they, they understand it. I wouldn't say great, but we, we got a good understanding. Uh, there is still a little bit of a, you know, a challenge that it needs to be that bi-directional relationship on culture, right? Like leadership top down, as well as our, you know, the engineering arm to push and work with our uh, leadership partners, you know, in this because it has to be a leadership and executive buy-in uh, rather than just delivering a capability. And then suddenly all that platform, all that great work we just did kind of vanishes, right? And then you get to the next next challenge. Over. Yeah. I think there's a really good, yeah. I just wanted to like, when you talk about the boundaries and I was thinking that earlier in the call when Chris was, was, you know, so excited that you could get a hold of anybody whenever you want them. And I was like, yes, and that's also terrible, right? You know, um, <laughs> And, and I've been a remote worker for like almost 10 years, you know, pre-COVID. And those boundaries are so, so hard. So, and, but, but the reason I think that plays right into like the, a little bit, like I thought I had about that plays into what Edmund was just talking about, about leadership, is it's about example. And you have to have buy-in from the leadership, but it's the behaviors of leadership. So a great example is like, if you're a leader, you don't send emails to your team at 10 o'clock at night. 
because yes, maybe that's the time you had to do it, but that's giving this message that 10 o'clock at night as, and also if I get that email at 10 o'clock at night from my boss, I'm going to think it's real important. I have to do something about it, even though that just happened to be the time that Chris was available. Um, and that goes into the cultural thing. There's so much behavior that's reinforced by the things that leadership focuses on. Uh, and that's could be a whole other conversation, but getting that culture, like you don't, you don't actually change culture, you change behavior, right? And you change behavior by thinking about um, what you reflect as as important as a leader, what's incentivized and things like that. And that's all the really squishy parts. It's also the really interesting part. <laughs> Matt, Matt, I totally agree with what you're saying. And, and I think that it's going to be um, one of those things that we kind of work through as we kind of uh, adapt to, um, to the new way that we're working. One thing I, I did just want to kind of come in on Chris's coattails a little bit, um, kind of around um, the speed to delivery, um, specifically around the way that we accredit systems. Um, so we actually accredited um, our VA Video Connect system in three weeks, and that's down from what used to be 26 weeks. And, and just as an example, this is a system that in January, we, we had 2,500 video patient calls a day. And in, in August, we had 35,000 video meetings a day where, where these are real life patients with real life problems that are interacting with doctors and getting medical advice and prescriptions. So, I mean, um, I just, I had to kind of echo um, that. I didn't mean to take any steam away from what you just said because you, you're spot on with your comments too. Um, I, you know, when I get that email from my boss on a Saturday, a Saturday I take it very seriously. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, we, we just kind of have to kind of work through. But I, I just want to underscore some of the some of the really good work that's being done here. And, and that speed to delivery was something, you know, that it, it was kind of like an awakening that, hey, we can do this so much quicker. And I think that that's going to have um, a, an exponential effect on the way that we move forward. And, and Tom, if you don't mind, just one more thing to just yeah, maybe put stop this whole, you know, remote, remote work thing. Um, so before I had some challenges um, with getting some, some top quality talent to help us with this stuff. You know, you're trying to get computer scientists and engineers um, that know what they're doing can be challenging, especially for the government, I think. And I had an individual that I knew actually very well. I had worked with in the past. He, he got a job with IBM. He'd been working with them. But like Matt over here, he's been remote working for since the beginning. And he's had all this flexibility. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even have to put in 40 hours a week. If he can get his job done in 32 hours, he's good. He gets his salary, he's good to go, right? So there's a ton of flexibility in that. And so when I offered him a job um, roughly a year ago, I said, hey, I really, would really love to have you. And I have to go into the office. And that was essentially the end of the conversation. So I'm really hopeful that the government can benefit from this as well, from that perspective and getting uh, top talent into our organizations. Yeah, I think that, I think that'll go a long way. I think that would go a long way. And, and that's one of the, one of the blessings. I know there was a memo put up by one of the agencies as soon as pandemic hit that they said, we expect you at your desk 40 hours a week and not to let your family interfere with what you're doing. It was like one of the most boneheaded things ever. We will not mention that agency, but it was an actual thing. Um, you know, as we're in the middle of a pandemic and in, in schools have closed. So I think we're getting out of that mentality. I, I think we have been forced to get out of it. I think it's a very, very, very good thing. Um, one more question before we get into, into the polls. Uh, so we've had pandemic, we've gone remote. What are, are there, some things that we need to watch out for, negative things that that require us to be in person, or what are we missing? Um, is the work, is some work getting done faster? Is all work getting done faster? What are some of the things that when we are, get back to being in person that there are some are some benefits, or if there's none, um, what, what are some of the pitfalls of, of working completely remote all the time? Does anybody want to think about that one? Well, I'll take a, a quick bite at the apple and just say that, yeah. you know, having, having the luxury of having a distributed workforce, I'm, I'm always going to be bound to some kind of electronic mechanism or means like, like Zoom or Skype or, or Microsoft Teams. 
in the case of VA, it is Microsoft Teams. I try to stay vendor agnostic on these on these uh, panels, but um, it is what it is. And and so there's no escaping that reality for me. It's 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 kind of it's interesting because a lot of the distributed workforce are actually coming into their offices. And um, and when I and when I talk to them, I didn't I didn't make any of my staff come into the office. They're they're doing it because um, I. I they're just really dedicated or maybe they have distractions at home or or things like that but um i i've actually thought a lot about this and i think the world's going to change from this pandemic as as it probably should and you know um we're not going to have the flying cars but it's getting one step closer to the jetsons every day and uh and you know at the end of it um we're we're going to be working remote we're going to be working over video and over phone lines um you know just as a, as a normal practice. And when, when I will say this though, we had a strategic planning session just last week here at VA where all of the VA leadership in IT came together and we were socially distanced and we wore our masks and we followed all the CDC guidelines. So everyone was safe and no one got sick from the experience. There were maybe uh, six to eight of us in a room at one time and we were way spread out and it was great to be around the other leaders. It was really, um, it was weird, but it was really great. And so I think that people are going to enjoy when, when they can actually start to interact with one another again. And that's probably the one thing that I miss most um, about this whole pandemic, that not only the socializing with my friends on the outside, but inside, just being able to go have a cup of coffee with, um, and I have coworkers, they're all over this building, um, but we socially distance. So we don't have lunch together most days. And we actually still call one another on Teams, even though I've got friends and peers and and, co- and, and employees just right around the, the hall from me. So I think it's really key to remember that what we're doing right now is not working remotely. We are working from home during a pandemic. Like I've been a work, I've been a remote worker for eight years and the last six months has been terrible, right? Like it's, this is not me working at home. Um, but I think that's, and it goes back to what Todd was saying, because even when you're a distributed workforce and you're remote work, there are still opportunities where you engage with each other. You, you get together. Like I had a, on a team I was on before once a quarter, we picked a city, you know, and we went and we had an offsite together, you know, just to be in a room together and to think about things in a different way. And we can't do that right now, right? Or we're not doing that right now, but we will. And I think as we, so that's the thing to look at is that that this future of remote work is not going to look like what the last six months have looked like for most people. Again, when you're a truly remote worker, you're not like working from your dining room table, the, hunched over your laptop, probably. You have a dedicated workspace and you, you chose where you lived and your house and your space because it was a place you worked. And I think that's going to be a cultural change as more and more people become distributed um, when we look to that. But like the key of all this is to remember the outcomes that we get out of being in person and don't try, to, we do this so much. We try to replicate that. And this came up, right? Like, well, how do we used to do, we used to do physical sticky notes. So let's have some software that makes it look like a sticky note. Okay. But what's the outcome we're trying to do, right? Or, so I think yeah. that's the thing is we're, we're, we don't have to replicate things that are bound by the laws of physics to get the outcomes we want. Yeah, I think from ATARC, I, I believe we were a waterfall nonprofit. We'd have a meeting once a week. We'd all meet in person. And then a week later, oh, I did, that's not exactly the way I want it. Now we meet every morning very briefly uh, and we get more done. We're getting, we're, we're communicating. We're not going down the wrong road as much. I do think that I do miss like the quarterly brainstorming session where we kind of let go and we have a few drinks and we got sticky notes. And I think that has, has been one thing. I will say one thing about the video. It definitely is much better than a conference call. I don't think I was, you never got my best stuff on a conference call. I realize that now I was half paying attention and cranking out emails. Uh, at least with the video, it's a forcing function. But I, I think when we get back in person, I'm going to just like break down emotionally. Cause it's like, I miss people, you know, and even though I see them on video, it'll be, it'll be nice to see people in, in, in person. So I think, uh, 
and multinationals have had this. I don't want to keep going here, but multinationals have had this issue for a while. They've been using Teams and these collaborative software for a while. And then once a year, they might have their annual, you know, developer conference or whatever field they're in. And then you kind of get to know that that's really where you get to know the person. You know, when you get in person, you know, in, in person. Go ahead. You wanted to add one item to that, right? So as a leader, it's not just the necessity to bring you together for just work, right? You got to find those uh, yeah. off the top moments. Uh, just recently, my team, you know, was kind of putting me on spots. So I said, hey, you know what? Let's go out and have a drink. You know, of course, maintaining the social distancing, being prepared and all that. But today is one of those days, right? After this meeting around, you know, 1600, we all trying to get together because as humans, we still need that fact of, you know, that social interaction, but on the same time, you know, being, you know, mindfully prepared, uh, you know, and being careful with everyone else around you and yourself. But we always need to ensure that being together just for work is one concept of it but being together as a team, right? Uh, emphasizing and respecting uh, those boundaries as well as that social aspect of it, it makes you a stronger team. So then you kind of limit yeah. uh, a lot of those dependencies, if you call it in agile, agile terms or impediments, uh, you work as a team and you accomplish so much more. So I wanna emphasize that aspect of it that you know, as leaders, we always have to strive to make sure that the socializing aspect of it is work-related as well as you know, socializing in over. Well put. Uh, we better, Melissa, I think it's now or never with a poll. We've, we just, it's been like DevSecOps psychological session here uh, with the human factors and everything else, but it's, it's been good. Can we do a poll real quick? These actually go really well. What is the biggest barrier agency is facing during pandemic? Identity access management, security current concerns, lack of IT resources, lack of reliability and performance, and then the second one, which is pretty interesting, how has the cultural changes happening in federal dev, dev ops space affect your agency? Hmm. We'll give everybody a second to answer that. And uh, let's see what we have. Alyssa, you wanna pop that up? I think we've given everybody a chance there. And uh, for the audience, uh, please ask away on the questions. Interesting. Anybody want to comment on that? Uh, not too much negative. That's, that's you know, it, it seems like uh, cultural change has been pretty, pretty positive since COVID. Considering everything that everybody has to go at home and the general feeling that everything is negative, I think that's pretty interesting. Anybody want to comment on this? Anything surprising? Okay. All right, let's do another one. We'll try another one, Alyssa, and then we'll go into a couple more questions. Okay, now this is looks like an interesting one. Biggest challenge your agency faced when switching your remote work? Interesting, interesting. And where do you still see room for digital transformation within federal DevOps and federal IT as a whole? All right. All right. What do we have, Alyssa? Pretty uh, evenly distributed. I think that's interesting it, of itself. I think it's interesting that, that the second highest response was not actually having any challenges, which is surprisingly good, I guess. You know, I mean, that, that was kind of my take too, was that, you know, we, we, we did pretty well, but. I think the second question is, is very interesting making automation a priority. I think that's breaking down organizational silos. Wow. I think that really sticks out to me. That was mine. You know, go ahead. No, that's- uh, Go ahead and add some color, Todd. 
So I, I, I selected that because I think um, one, one thing that, and, I'm, and I view this as a completely positive, I think that um, we had to break down organizational silos a little bit to enhance the collaboration. And um, one of my biggest fears about starting during a, a pandemic, and it, it's funny because um, I had a conversation with Mr. Defer, our CIO here, when I first started, and he asked me, you know, if, if I wanted to come in to the office. And, and I was actually eager to because I, I wasn't sure how I was going to be able to actually start a job and be successful if I couldn't at least kind of poke around a little bit and, and get my yeah. wherewithal. And, uh, and, and, um, and, and maybe that is true or maybe it's not. I don't really know anymore. All I know is that I settled right in. And, um, and, and from what I understand, a lot of the silos that, that may have been there, maybe they were just perceived to have been there, have been broken down because we're all kind of, we've been reduced to this, this kind of odd workforce now. And um, the collaboration is off the charts. That's all I can say, um, not just horizontally, but vertically in, in, um, in this organization. I always like to think more about building bridges than breaking down silos. And, and you know, I've been talking about breaking down silos in the DevOps community for almost 10 years. So I, I get to, I get to say it's wrong because yeah. I was saying it before. Um, but like, it's my, my colleague, Michael Ducey says, he's like, silos have a point, right? Like if you think about a real silo, like it keeps grain from exploding. And there's reasons for, for that we have these areas. And usually we create organizational silos out of um, protection of some kind, but there's, there's reason like that we kind of, I don't want to go off on this tangent, but we like the no ops movement kind of over rotated that way, which was everybody can do everything. Well, no, everybody can't do any, everything and don't try to make them. There's like, you know, 12, 10 X engineers in the world. And they all work at Netflix. Okay. So let's, let's move on and let's be realistic and have areas of expertise, but we have to build bridges. And I think that's what like Todd, what you're just saying just spoke to me, which was now we're thinking about things cross-functionally you know because of maybe it's just how we are now and that's how we're so much more productive but we can still be focused in our areas of expertise and have pride in that too you, you know matt yeah. i think that's uh that, that certainly makes a lot of sense to me and when i look down at the breaking down organization silos i think building bridges is certainly a better uh, way to view that I'm, you know, I'm going to have to put it out there, something maybe negative today. Um, and, you know, for once, I suppose. And so DevSecOps, Development, Security, and Operations, right? So in our organization, we have an entire division that's operations, an entire division that's security. They don't fall under the DevSecOps branch. So when we go to try to move things forward, when we go to try to move towards a new way of doing security and baking in security into every step of the process, um, to be honest with you, we've been having challenges in getting them involved with that. And that holds us back. Now we've definitely developed a strong relation with, with strong relationship with operations, especially since this whole pandemic has actually happened. So with operations, we work together every single day now. Um, and so that is good. Uh, we certainly got a lot of friction because they're operating current operations. And yeah. so sometimes there's some conflict there. Um, but so, you know, building those bridges, absolutely, Matt, we're trying our best to do that. Um, but it certainly is complicated, especially when something like DevSecOps changes the whole way of security in the government from what they're currently used to. Their, their current way of doing an RMF package, for example, or, you know, it's, uh, that's going to change quite a bit as we move into the future. Chris, I, I can definitely, yeah, definitely on the security. Go ahead. Go ahead, Todd. I was, I Go was going to say I've I've seen uh, those pillars established in different organizations, and I can totally relate to to what you're saying. And and uh, and 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 fortunately, in my experience here at VA, some other really smart people got ahead of it and said, "We're going to hire a deputy assistant secretary and put that person over." development, security, and operations. So I have 430 of my ISOs embedded in my organization, even though there's a CISO that sits next to me. And the CISO is just a, a great guy and I partner with them all the time. Um, but I use those, those ISOs very much in an operational mode. 
And that's not to say that we're not still, you know, I don't want to reduce DevSecOps just down to the ATO process because part of the whole DevSecOps journey here at, at VA that we're still kind of on is is embedding those good security practices into the the actual coding and the testing and the monitoring um, that far exceed the, the the lines of demarcation around the the ATO process. Um, but just I just had to highlight on on your your point not to take your negative and turn it into a positive. I'm not trying to shift things around, but this is the first time I've seen all three organizations embedded. So I have this opportunity really to cross the, the intimization. DevSecOps is the bridge. You're not building a bridge between DevSecOps. You are the bridge. I concur 100%. You know, so. 100%. Yep. That's why I mentioned when I mentioned in the beginning that that's become our role is to try to connect all these things together, everything together, and to help people understand understand uh, where we're trying to go. So yeah, that's that is how we view ourselves, Matt. Uh, sometimes though, some days it doesn't feel like that. Well, I think I saw something. It was a Gardner. I cannot find this anywhere. I think an analyst told me it, it takes like 30 times longer, more costly to remediate, remediate an error after the project's done than doing it while you're in development. So I think the government has a challenge. How, these security folks are used to doing things a certain way. I think the key is automation and then have the human element over the automation. You're, these will never develop anything. It'll be just like it has been in, in, until very, very recently. Um, I just want to emphasize I got, Go ahead. On that piece though, yeah. so there are different challenges when it comes to security, right? Security, being security, securely adverse, right? In terms of finding the right solution for your needs or for your mission requirements, and you're speaking about uh, authority to operate or ATO or risk management framework, right? Uh, there is a human element in every component. Uh, everything is risk assessed sure. and risk-based. So I know some of these policies and procedures as well as some, some of these workflows are lengthy in process, but remember each one of those individuals that are in the process uh, have to inherit some type of risk, approving quickly some or making a decision instantly, right? Because at the very end, uh, if that entire team is responsible for it, then I think the decisions go faster. But if you have uh, you know, some processes that are specifically catered by uh, you know, a set few folks, then that risk becomes more problematic, you know, or more, um, you know, more critical in, in terms. Uh, but I just wanted to emphasize that, right, is that speed is great, but then risk, you know, when you mix risk and speed together, I'll just leave it with that over. Yeah. Well, we have a highly intelligent and informed audience. I did hear uh, 30X comes from a NIST study and that's conservative, okay. Uh, another question that I think is a good one from somebody in the audience. Uh, do you feel like major IT initiatives or acquisitions been put on hold, running at the same pace, or accelerated? Uh, that would That's an interesting one. Maybe we'll start off with you, Todd. I know you're relatively new over there, but you have some experience at your old place, too. How, how, did, how is this new calculus? Was there some shovel-ready projects that had to go quick, or what, what, what happened there? Yeah, you know, um, I, I think, you know, one of the secretary's priorities here at the VA was the electronic health record, and there is a ton of momentum already behind that. And I think that, if anything, you know, this this pandemic and, and this, this you know, kind of a, awareness that we need to go electronic has spurred um, more momentum in that direction. Uh, since I've been here, um, you know, we got a, um, an initiative that just kind of came in uh, under the wire, and um, and we, and I don't think anyone was expecting it. I may be speaking out of term, but an electronic GI bill. Um, so I think that there's more momentum now, and um, and and um, you know we're already on a modernization pathway, and so it it really dovetails really well with you know where we're heading culturally to receive you know those types of um, project initiatives, and so um, I, I would say more. Um, there, there's more emphasis and more momentum. Chris, Ed, any thoughts? 
I just want to echo what Todd said, right, is that we have different methods and different ways on how we approach acquisition these days, either procuring like uh, COTS products or homegrown solutions, right? The intent is that with this pandemic on hand, we had to be creative and innovative in a way to find some paths that before could have been seen as, uh, you know, long to be achieved. And right now they've kind of changed that, uh, that, that culture, that transition from uh, you know, labs to operations very quickly. And one of them is speaking of DOD's uh, CIO decision, which is you know, kudos to him and his team. Uh, they extended this, you know, the team's capability up to June of 21, which was again, within weeks. You know, I mean, so if you came before this pandemic and made these kind of decisions, uh, if one would have said or asked the question, how long will it take you? Uh, I think humans are, are by nature, if you throw a problem at them and you say, I need an answer now, you most likely will get an answer. But if you say whenever you have time, in many cases, that becomes like our uh, you know, approach of, hey, it's not that very critical, so I'll just take my time. But I just want to emphasize, right, there are different ways, different means. Uh, there are different capabilities. And now if you're speaking of mission critical decisions, uh, or if you get cost of life, you know, on the VA side, on Navy side, you know, uh, on the transportation side, there are different components, right? You can't just go out there and just procure an asset or, or a product, right, without being fully vetted or fully being risked to ensure that they're secure and can be deployed within our infrastructure. It's easier uh, to just purchase something and put it. It's harder to make it actually work in a government infrastructure, and especially given challenges like connectivity over virtual private networks, trying to transfer files or products left and right. You know, some of those challenges are impacts directly to automation and speed when it comes to DevSecOps. Inclu inclusive to that, you throw procurements and logistics piece of it, right? And, and limitations yeah. in terms of how much you can procure. So it's a lengthy concept, it's a lengthy process, but I think smart folks always find a way how to, uh, you know, make things happen uh, in a timely fashion. Over. Okay. Chris, did you have anything to add to that? Well, I, I think that they cover really the highlights, but I would say when it comes to big initiatives, um, you know, within our organization, kind of like what Edmund mentioned, it, it kind of depends on what it is that we're trying to do. And then, so the acquisition piece or moving forward some IT initiatives, I think so far it's, it's been pretty good. I'm not sure that it's that aspect of it has been much different. Um, we have been able to accelerate some IT initiatives, thankfully. Uh, but then the, the other piece is uh, kind of what Edmund was saying. You can get a product, but because of the way you have to implement it in a government environment, this is complex. And I'm kind of looking at Matt's direction. When it comes to implementing, for us, when it came to looking at implementing open shift uh, in our environment, um, and when, that was a lot more challenging than it needed to be because of our government way of doing things and because of the things that we are concerned about. I can second that, Chris. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> I mean, you know, you're trying to pull a Docker, that's a gigabyte over a one megabyte, you know, VPN connection. And you have 45 seconds to download that because your entire script infrastructure is called just, you know, fail. Now you don't even know which part of your infrastructure is called failed, right? So you have to restart. Right. <laughs> Well, if, if it makes you feel better, this was a problem in the private sector too for a long time, just in terms of software developers not understanding the way enterprises work. So I, company I used to work at, we actually said we wanted to make our software engineers sit down and have to work on an enterprise lockdown laptop when they built our product because they didn't understand that, no, why can't you just go out there and just pull for, so I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a common thing, right, to sort of understand that where those, those, uh, constraints come in and then yeah. and then the thing is okay then what do we do about them and as we continue to grow our product and mm. understand where those go but it kind of goes in both directions too because as the world is moving we need to figure out what are the outcomes that these compliance policies are there to create versus compliance for the sake of compliance but that right. is a whole other panel <laughs> yeah, yes it is and you know matt, matt just to add to this so i was actually the cio of a few hospital systems before i came into the government and, um, you know, when I think of the, the private sector, we, we would essentially we would get a tool, we would get something, we purchase it, we put it in our environment, we didn't have to worry so much about documenting how to use it, or, you know, things like that. And so in this environment, our government environment, we have months of work just to document. So if you move toward a container orchestrator, whether it's EKS or OpenShift or something like that, we have to define it, 
We have to then put together service level standards. We then have to put in together uh, standard operating procedures. We then have to get other divisions to sign off on it and say, hey, you're good to put in our environment. It's, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think one of the takeaways we just said, it, it's like you have DevSecOps. Ops needs to know a little bit about Sec and they need to know a little bit about Dev and Dev needs to know about Ops and needs to know about Sec and live in each other's worlds a little bit. I'll tell you a secret, man. It's been DevSecOps it. since the beginning. We just only called it DevOps, but it's always been DevSec, everybody ops. That, that, that's uh, Patrick Dubois, I'll tell you that all day long. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's always been about that empathy and the understanding and the broad piece of that. Um, yeah, you have, to, you have to understand where that goes. And the lines get blurry, man. I think that's actually going to have to be the last word. I, I, my time management skills haven't been great on this. You guys are too damn interesting. Excuse me. Um, thank you all. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Ed. And thank you, Matt. And thank the audience for hanging tough. Uh, sorry we went a little overtime. Hopefully it's worth it. Thank you very much, and we will see you next week. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Thanks for having so us. Much. Yeah. Bye.